Thank you for tuning into Calvary Life Keller's weekly sermon podcast. We hope you are encouraged and challenged in your personal relationship with Jesus. For more information about our service times and locations, please visit us at www.calvarylife.us. Pastor Gwen Moore is out of town this week, so I have the privilege of uh, preaching today, and uh, delivering the Word of God to you, and it's always a great honor to do that. Today is Pentecost Sunday. Did you know that? Today is Pentecost Sunday. So we are going to talk about Acts chapter 2. If you'll stand for the reading of the Word. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were with all, all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them divided tongues as a fire, and it sat upon each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, <coughs> Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Father... We thank you for today, for Pentecost Sunday, the day that you poured out your Holy Spirit upon the church. Thank you, Father, that as we study the word, maybe we can gain more of an insight on what we can do to stand in your presence and we be receptive to the, your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come today. Minister to us as we yield ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, praise God. You may be seated. All right, so we're going to talk about this today. I'm actually going to back up, and I'm going to start, because we've got. To, I want to set the scene for this. Um, Jesus has been resurrected. He's appeared unto the disciples for 40 days, and he taught to them concerning the things of the kingdom of God. I would have really liked to have been in on that conversation. Uh, and then in Acts chapter 1, he says this, verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard of, uh, from me. For John truly baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days hence. So this is so Jesus is telling his disciples <clears throat> to uh, after he ascends into heaven to go to uh, the upper room and wait for the promise of the Father. Now the Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father, and if you can go if you go back to the Old Testament, you'll see that in the book of Joel and several other places in Isaiah, God prophesied that He would put His Spirit in His children. So that is the promise that Jesus is talking about. And actually, Jesus, in the upper room at the Last Supper, told the disciples that he's going to return to the Father, and then when he returns, he's going to send the Holy Spirit to come and be the, uh, another comforter, a comforter like him. <laughs> so, so, so this is the promise. So here in Acts, and actually in the last part of Luke, Jesus says, you know, 
go and wait in Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high. So here, so that's the setting, and we just read Acts, uh, <clears throat> Acts 2, which, which is the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so from, from the time Jesus ascends, it's 10 days before this event happens. And, but the disciples didn't know how long this was going to be. They were just told to go and wait. Well, they went and waited and prayed, and we're reading scripture. If you read the, uh, uh, the first uh, chapter of Acts, they're, they're reading scripture. They're talking about uh, having someone replace uh, Judas, and so, but they're in prayer and praise. And so here we are, here, here, the, here the, uh, the day of Pentecost comes. Now, they didn't realize that the Holy Spirit was going to come that day. All they knew is that Jesus said to wait. So... <clears throat> It says, let's, and we're going to go down, we're going to go through this verse by verse. Let's start at uh, verse 1 of chapter 2. And that when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Now, when we think of the term Pentecost, we think, if you mention to anybody Pentecost or Pentecostal, they immediately think of this event right here, where people were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues. But the term Pentecost... Uh, what is the day of Pentecost? It is an old, actually, it's an Old Testament festival. Uh, it was a, a harvest festival that was celebrated for, uh, 50 days after, uh, after the uh, waving, uh, wave offering, and they counted off, or it's actually called the Feast of Weeks, which is it's seven weeks from that Sunday is when they would count it off. So here we arrive on the Pentecost in Greek means the 50th day. So you won't find the term Pentecost in the Old Testament. It's called the Feast of Weeks or it's called the Day of First Fruits. So it is on that day, this festival, that the Holy Spirit comes upon the church. And it's interesting to note that every major event that happens in the New Testament regarding our salvation or, or, or God's work in us is, is happens on a feast day. Passover. Passover. Jesus was crucified on the Passover. If you think back to the Passover, they had to take a spotless lamb and they had to kill it and they couldn't break its bones and they had to roast it in fire and eat it. And they put the blood on, on the lentils of the, of the doorpost. And the scripture says, this is what Moses did. This was the last plague that was going to hit Egypt. And, and God told the children of Israel exactly what to do. He was going to do, he was going to, you're going to sacrifice this lamb. You're going to put the blood on the door. You're going to eat the lamb. You're going to roast it with fire and eat it. And then when, when the death angel comes through, I'm going to pass over you. Now, I used to think that when it said, I will pass over you, I, th I thought that meant, okay, here's a house, I'm God, I'm just going to pass by you. But that's not what it means. The scripture says that when the death angel came through, God passed over the door of their house, meaning he was protecting them from the death angel. So that's the idea behind Passover. He's passing over. He's protecting you. The blood of the lamb protected them. And so we see the fulfillment of this in the New Testament 
Jesus is the spotless lamb of God. He's crucified for the world. His blood is shed as a protection for us, to forgive us of our sins, to release us from bondage. And so, you, and, and, and to fulfill the scriptures, none of his bones were broken, just like the lamb in the Old Testament, that the bones weren't broken. It says that the lamb was roasted with fire. God said that specifically. Well, Jesus went to hell in your place. Wow. He went to hell in your place. So, and, and, and the Psalms say that when the children of Israel ate of that meat, when they left Egypt, there was not a feeble one among them. Right. Right. Hallelujah. Jesus is our, 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 our need meter. He heals our body. He delivers us. He protects us. So that is the, the feast of Passover. Well, and so the next major feast that there is, is what's called the Feast of First Fruits or the Feast of Weeks, which happens 50 days after Passover. So let's look. I, I believe we can learn something. Uh, the, the, the title of this series is The Power of His Presence. And I want us to look at the, the power of God's presence and let's just see what we can learn from it as regarding of how we need to respond to God when God's presence is manifesting. <clears throat> let's go back to the to the Old Testament, we go back to uh, Exodus 19. Okay, this is the account of the Old Testament Pentecost or the Old Testament Feast of First Fruits. This is uh, they, what has happened is 50 days after the children of Israel left Egypt. They're traveling through the desert. There's other things that happen along the way, like the Red Sea. It's amazing that if you look at the, tra at the travels of the children of Israel from Egypt to the Promised Land, if you look at the Christian life, it follows the same kind of order. And so here they've left Egypt. They're on their way to Mount Sinai, where, Mo where they're going to receive. God is going to give them the law. So... So here they, here they arrive at, at the base of Mount Sinai. And let's see, where do we want to start here? Uh, okay, let's start at verse 4 of, of chapter 19. What you have seen, what I did, uh, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on, on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to, uh, to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Uh, these are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So God tells Moses right here what his desire is for the nation of Israel. He wants them to be a priesthood. Let me see yeah, he wants them to be a priesthood, not just one of them, not just a group of them, all of them. We're talking about two billion Jews. So this is God's desire, that he can have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with these Israelites. And so I've titled this message, Fulfilling the Desire of God. 
fulfilling the desire of God. This God here states what he wants. But let's see what happens. So, so uh, uh, Moses gets the, the children, tells the children of Israel, sanctify yourself for three days, and then we're going to go to the mountain, and God is going to come down on the mountain. And so let me, let me just uh, read that to you. Verse 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes. And let them be ready on the third day. For the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. So he comes down on the mountain. Okay, verse 17. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet, uh, to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was, uh, was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And its, and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. So here is this fantastic scene. This is probably one of the greatest manifestations of God's power in the Old Testament. Yeah, we had the parting of the Red Sea, and, but here God is descending upon the mountaintop. There's fire, there's quaking, there's smoke, and he is going to speak to his people. So, but how did the people react? Look at verse um, 18. Actually, Exodus 20, verse 18. Exodus 20. Now all the people witnessed the thundering the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when they saw it, they, were, they trembled and stood <clears throat> afar off. And they said to Moses, you speak with us. We will hear you, but, <clears throat> but let, us not speak, uh, let God not speak with us, lest we die. So they've decided that they don't want this relationship. They don't want a one-on-one -on -one with God. They said, no, 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 no. You go talk to God, and you tell us what he said. So, so I want some, some things we can learn from this passage. First of all, here is God coming down in his might and his power. But people weren't changed. Just because God shows up doesn't mean you'll change. You have to think about that a little bit. I'm going to give you some other scriptural examples of this. So here God shows up. God tells them what he desires for them. And they say, no thanks. God's desire is his will. I could have titled, it, titled this message, Fulfilling the Will of God. But I like the term desire. Because desire brings with it emotion and passion and God is a passionate God, and he wants to have a relationship with you. And so his desire, his desire right here, were for these people to have this one-on-one -on -one relationship. No mediator, no one in between. He wanted to meet with them. And they said, no thanks. So it was God's intent for the, for the children of Israel to be priests, if they were all to be priests, they could minister to the, to the nations around them. Right. That was their goal. They failed. But that was their goal, to minister to the world and be a blessing to the world and to the Gentiles. Right. 
But they didn't do that. See, they got caught up in themselves. And what they did was, <clears throat> and you see that they were not changed. It, got, it was so bad that after they, they see God coming down on the mountain, and then after they, they back off and Moses goes to receive the, the law, they're building a they're making a calf to worship the calf. I mean, they've seen the presence of God, and still they make a calf. And as a result, 3,000 people were killed. So it didn't change them. And so we, we need to look at, at just some of the things that, that, uh, that kind of interferes um, with, with us being receptive to the Spirit of God. Let me give you some other examples of, of times when uh, God's desire wasn't met. If you look, at, if you think about Jesus, right before he went to the cross, he stood at Jerusalem and he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if I could take you and uh, gather you as a, as a mother hen gathers its chicks under its wings, that was God's desire. That was Jesus' desire. But what happened? Jesus said, but you would not. So here Jesus has shown up in the power of the Spirit. He's ministered. He's preached. He's done miracles and signs and wonders. And they're not changed. Another example, when Jesus was healing the sick, it says that the, that the power of the Lord was present to heal, but only one person got healed. So we have to understand that we have a part to play. If we want God to move in our lives, we have something that we have to cooperate with what God is doing. Okay, let's look at this. What were some of the reasons that these people... Rejected. We look back to the. Um, they settled for less. First of all, they were afraid. They saw this. They heard this. They didn't trust God. I mean, God told them what He was going to do, and they said, "We're afraid. We're afraid." You know, some how how many times are we afraid of what God might want to do? You know, we're, okay, I, you know, I, this thing is getting uncomfortable for me. You know, this, you know, people are speaking in tongues or something happening, and I, I, I'm just afraid of that. Well, that you're keeping, it's keeping you back from receiving a blessing from God. They settled for less. They said, Moses, you go talk to him. We'll just listen to you. We'll just listen to you. How many times do we settle? Do we settle? Oh, that tongue stuff, that's not for me. That's just for somebody else. Oh, tongues were done away with, blah, blah, blah. God promised you something. God promised you the gift of the Holy Ghost. But yet people want to settle. Settle. Unbelief. Unbelief. Do you know unbelief is caused by what you believe? Think about it. What you believe about things affects what you don't believe. So if you think that all the miracles and things of God are past, and we have a whole group in the body of Christ that believes that doesn't happen anymore, 
their unbelief has kept them from moving in the things of God. Doesn't mean they're not saved, you know, there's some wonderful people, but when your belief system says that God doesn't do this anymore, or God won't do that for me, what you believe has caused you to be an unbeliever. They had no hunger for an encounter with God. Now, let me, let me go back to the, the book of Acts where Jesus ascends into heaven. And there were, the Bible says there were 500 people. It's not just the 12 or the 11. There's 500 people who witnessed Jesus standing there giving his last commands to the church. And they stand there and watch him ascend into heaven. Two angels appear and said, this same Jesus, he's going to come back just like the way he went. Okay, 500 people. How many showed up in the upper room? 120. What happened to the other 380? Was there a football game that day? I mean, come on. You've just had, you've just seen the resurrected Christ. The power of the presence of God right there, and you go home. Come on now. But Jesus was right. Jesus, in the, in the parable of the four soils, only 25% actually bore fruit. Here you have exactly the same case. 25% went ahead and did what Jesus told them to do. We can't make God move, but we can provide an atmosphere to receive his presence. Let's go back to uh, our text again, back in uh, Acts chapter 2. We're just going to walk right down through this. Okay. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Now, the basic understanding of that term, fully come, would mean that the day had arrived. The day of Pentecost is now here. But there's a deeper meaning to this, I believe, that when this day came, God's desire was about to be fulfilled. It wasn't just a matter of, oh, this is, this is Pentecost day. No, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, that God now, in this moment, was going to see his desire fulfilled about having a kingdom of priests. And, and Peter, over in 1 Peter, says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you, may claim, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of his darkness into his marvelous light. That's what he's saying about the church. That happened on the day of Pentecost. You, when, what God desired at the Mount, Mount Sinai is now fulfilled on the day of Pentecost that he would have a kingdom of priests, that he would have people who could approach him on a one-on-one and God could, would speak to them. Wow, wow. It says that they were all with one accord in one place. Now, who's the all? They were all with one accord. Who is there? There was the twelve. And there was all these other people, 120, 
They were disciples. They were believers in Jesus. I know I, I, I hear people say that the church was born on Pentecost. These people were already believers. The day of Pentecost is the, the infilling, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit of the disciples, but uh, of, of the disciples. But these people were already born again. You say, well, how, how does that work? Well, the only requirement for someone to be born again, according to Hebrews, is that the new covenant was instituted with the shed blood of Jesus. So that happened. That happened on the cross. And then after Jesus is resurrected from the dead, he's, he goes to his disciples. This is before the day of Pentecost. He goes to his disciples in the upper room and he breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Ghost or receive the Holy Spirit. Something happened there. I believe it was in that moment that they were born again. Jesus was crucified. He was now resurrected. They believe that he is the Lord and that he's resurrected from the dead. The Apostle Paul says, if you, if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. These folks did that. So the group who is meeting in the upper room are not unconverted people. They are Christians. They are Christians who are obedient to Christ and they're waiting for what Christ had promised them. God's first desire for you is that you submit your life to the Lord Jesus. If you haven't been born again, that's the first desire God has for you. Over in Peter it says, God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So God's will, once again, God has a will, but it isn't automatically fulfilled. It's fulfilled when you cooperate with what God says. There will be people who will go to hell, because, it's not because God wants them to go to hell, he wants them to go to heaven. But you've got to cooperate with what God wants to do. It's the same thing with your encounter with the Lord, whether we're talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit or an infilling of the Holy Spirit later on, you have to cooperate with what God's doing. They were all with one accord in one place. I was looking into that a little bit, and, and, and in my research I found that that, phrase, that that word in the Greek carries the idea of like a musical, a, 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 a symphony, that you had 120 people there. They're all different. They all had their, their different ways. But as they were praying, they began to flow as one. They began to be in, a, in concert with one another. Someone had called it, I was reading, someone called it a concert of prayer. That as they were flowing with one another, they were preparing themselves. They were in unity. And when that happens, then that prepares the presence, a place for God to manifest. And so you, you think about it uh, in, in our, our times. Uh, if, we, if we would just flow together, let's, let's use uh, worship for an example. They probably didn't have musical instruments in the upper room. I don't know. It doesn't say. But the point is, worship helps us begin to flow together. 
as we're singing, as we're ministering together, there's a unity that can come, can come, if we all begin to focus in on the Lord. It's amazing when, you know, some people sit there looking at their phone. Stop. Stop. Get, 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 in, get in a unity with us as, as a body, as flowing. You know, it's interesting in the Old Testament when the, the temple, Solomon's temple was dedicated. It says that the priest began to minister and, and, the, and the trumpeters were sounding. And they, and, and they were all in one accord. And what happened is the presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God, it's, it's a cloud, it's a shining cloud, would descend upon the temple. And it says that the priest could not stand up to minister because the, uh, by reason of the cloud. The power of God was so strong that they couldn't even stand up. And what was it? They were in unity. They were flowing in unity. I remember when I was in Bible school, <clears throat> I, I went to a Bible training center and then I, then I went on to another school later. But when I was in this Bible training center, we were about ready to graduate. And the uh, music director of, of, this, of the school thought it would be a great idea that if all the graduating students could sing a song together. And so they had a, uh, there was a song called Thank You Loving Father. And so what he did is he divided us up into groups. Whether we could sing or not, we were in a group. And we had about 200, there was about 200 people, I guess. And we were practicing this. And, you know, this side would sing this. And, you know, and we would go along. We would practice and practice and practice because we were going to sing this at the graduation. Well, there we were singing this song, Thank You, Loving Father. And the power of God came across the room. It started in one section, and it moved right along across the room. And I thought, there it is. There is that unity, being in, un in unison and, and flowing together in the same thing. Hallelujah. Yeah, see, so, that, so on the day of Pentecost, they were all with one accord. They were flowing together as one. And there appeared unto them divided tongues as a fire, and it sat upon each one of them. What about the tongues of fire? So if you want to picture it in your mind, I, I'm sure you've, a lot of, have you seen pictures. Well, what, what happened is they're praying. They hear a sound. They didn't, there wasn't any wind. It was said there was the sound of, a, of wind. And then there, it says there appeared unto them uh, tongues of fire. So the, uh, apparently there's, uh, for one moment, there's this large ball of fire in, in, this, in the air in the middle of the room. And then all of a sudden, it began to divide, and it went down upon the heads of each of the 120. So they're all standing there with a, with a little flame of fire over their head. Well, what's that all about? You know, it's the only time that you see that in Scripture regarding the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is the first time. Well, in the Old Testament, when... <clears throat> Moses dedicated the tabernacle in the wilderness. When they put the, the sacrifice on the altar, God came down in fire and consumed that, that, that offering. That was his stamp of approval that this is where he was going to live. When Solomon dedicated the temple, exact same thing happened. 
when they were dedicating the temple of Solomon to the Lord, the fire came down on, on the offering. And this was God's point of saying, this is my place. Actually, even prior to that, when David dedicated the threshing floor where the temple would be built, God came down in fire and, and burned up the offering. Wow. All right, take it over to the New Testament. Those flames of fire are sitting upon those disciples' heads. You are the new temple of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> so, here we are. Let me see. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. I, I, keep, writing, I, I keep saying Old King James, Holy Ghost. I like that. <clears throat> they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, the book of Acts uses several different terms to speak of this same experience. Jesus and John called it the baptism of the, uh, with the Holy Spirit. Luke called it being filled with the Holy Spirit. The apostles called it receiving the Holy Spirit. And Joel called it the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's all the same experience. So don't get hung up on terminology. It, is all, it all refers to the exact same experience which the, the, apostle, which the disciples received on the day of Pentecost. It was, you know, I started to look at that, and you see these terms poured out, filled. You know, I thought, you know, some, and so I went back and looked up the word baptism, and it does mean to dip or immerse, but there's also another meaning for it, which means to be overwhelmed and saturated. And I thought, well, that really fits well with what's going on here. Here they are, the 120, born again, born of the Spirit, but yet Jesus has something more for them. And, and as they're praying, they are filled. They are saturated inside out, from inside out with the presence of the Holy Spirit. He is poured out on them. It's just like standing out in the rain and just getting drenched. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit will drench you. <laughs> Oh, praise God. Praise God. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I want you to notice something about that. Who, gave, who did the speaking? They did. They did. They did the speaking as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the Spirit is telling them what to say but they are the ones that have to do the speaking. And sometimes in this, you know, it's unfortunate that a large percentage of the body of Christ has fought this idea of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. They have theologically talked, that, talked themselves out of it. Oh, well, you got everything else when you, you got everything when you got born again. So we've, uh, it's unfortunate that we've had to kind of fight this idea that's so prevalent out there. But... It says that they were, and so when, when people hear about someone receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking with other tongues, they kind of have some, some of their own ideas on, on what that might be. I know I've, I've talked to people and I think that the Holy Ghost is just going to grab them and make them do something that, you know, is, is, is contrary to their natural inclination. No. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He, he will... He's there. He'll lead you in what to say. 
But if you don't want to open your mouth and you don't want to move your tongue, he'll just let you sit there. <laughs> so there, once again, when the Spirit of God is there, there is a cooperation. There's a cooperation with, 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 the, with God. And what about tongues? Tongues. They say Pentecostals always talk about tongues. And the reason it is when you have someone who doesn't believe in it, that's what they'll ask you about, tongues. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the only reason we talk about it so much is because that's, that's what they have a problem with. <laughs> but it's a gift. I don't know about you, but any gift that God has for me, I want it. Amen. Even though I don't understand, I want it. <laughs> tongues allows you to pray in the perfect will of God, according to Romans chapter 8. Tongues allows you to build yourself up in faith. Jude <clears throat> it says, Beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. With tongues, tongues are not just prayer. Tongues are, are thanks and praise to God. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. They weren't preaching. Pete, Peter stood up later and preached by the unction of the Holy Spirit. He didn't prepare a message. God gave him a message to him, for him to explain what just happened. But <clears throat> they heard them, they heard the disciples magnify God. So it wasn't necessarily prayers. They were rejoicing and worshiping in the Spirit. That's what you do when you pray in tongues, or part of the reason you pray in tongues. You can prophesy in tongues. The, the two... The two uh, uh, in the accounts in the book of Acts of people receiving the Holy Spirit, the most common thing is they spoke with tongues and they prophesied. That's, that's the, I believe that's the initial evidence. That's what the disciples recognized as being filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, you can have all kinds of other things, but if you're going to go by what the Bible says, that's the initial evidence. Every time you hear someone speak in tongues, you declare that Jesus is who he said he is and that he's exalted to the right hand of the Father. Because that's what Peter said. He said, this, is, this thing that's going on here that you hear and see, it means that Jesus is exalted to the right hand of the Father and he sat down at the right hand of the Father and because he's there, he sent the Holy Ghost. No wonder the devil doesn't like it. Every time you pray in tongues or you hear someone pray in tongues, it's an acknowledgement that Jesus is who he said he is. He did what he said he was going to do. He's exalted at the right hand of God the Father. Amen. I don't know if there's anybody here today who has not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, but I'm opening the altars now. for you. If you're, if you're desirous to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and let me say something. Some people have been prayed for for years to receive the Holy Spirit, and they walked away disappointed for whatever reason that is. But God's willing to fill you. you got to get your head out of the way. You, you can't try to figure out exactly how things are going to happen, okay? Because God has a different way of doing things. When I was pastoring in Shreveport, it was my first Pentecost, it was my, it was Pentecost Sunday, and I preached on Pentecost. And 
I had a, a Baptist man come forward and a little lady who was in her 70s, who I really didn't know very well. I had only been there a few weeks. And her name was Frances. And she came down the aisle, and she, and she came. We had those prayer benches for you younger people. They used to be prayer benches in the front of the church. And this little lady came down, and she was going to kneel at this prayer bench. And the Holy Ghost came on me, and I, I yelled at her. I said, get up. And when I said get up, God baptized her in the Holy Ghost because she was ready to go back into the same mode. And I didn't realize this. Her aunt, who was in her 80s, came up to me later and said, Francis has been seeking the Holy Ghost for 50 years. But she was going to go and do what she'd always done, but God was going to meet her in a different way, and he did. Filled her with the Holy Ghost. So I may not yell at you, so... I said, I may not. <laughs> so if you would like to receive the, well, before I say that, the only prerequisite for receiving the Holy Spirit is that you must be born again. And if you're here today and you're not born again and would like to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, that's the desire. That's the first desire he has for you. is for you to come into the kingdom of God, accept his son, Accept his forgiveness and allow him to change your life. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's podcast. Thank you and have a blessed week.